All right. Uh, now, um, I, I was doing a little bit of research, and I came to find out that the third most celebrated day on the calendar in America is Mother's Day. Uh, it's third behind uh, Christmas and Easter. And actually, it's like Christmas and Easter, the church sees a swell in attendance on Mother's Day. Uh, on Father's Day, you, you could light a bomb off and nobody get hurt. <laughs> what do you want to do on your special day, Dad? Football. (laughs) But it's amazing how moms want to gather everyone together. Um, And I I know Mother's Day is hard. I I remember a woman who had a huge influence in my life. Her name was Zabel Garabian, and she had no children. She was uh, childless, her and her husband. And she hated Mother's Day because it was so painful for her. And I've had three childless women in my life uh, that have had a huge influence. One was Zabel. The other was my godmother, Lois Early. Uh, she and, and my godfather, Robert, who I'm named after, uh, had no children. And then the third woman was Dr. Alice Crilly, who was a childless widow. And each of these women had a huge role in my life. And I'll never forget, uh, especially Zabel. First of all, I wouldn't be here without Lois Early. And that's a story in and of itself. She saved my life. Um, Alice was instrumental in my mother's final years. and But but Zabel was amazing. Uh, I... I, I got my first position, in a sense, in ministry as a result of this woman. Uh, Her and her husband were fairly wealthy. They lived in Fresno. Um, And when when Mother's Day came around, she hated Mother's Day. And she actually came to church that day. And the preacher that day was Roger Manassian. And he and his wife, Marilyn, were never able to have children. They had adopted two children. One, One of their children died in a motorcycle accident. The other is a minister now. And they'd gone through heartache like you can't imagine. And Mother's Day was always difficult for Marilyn Manassian as well. And, and Zabel knew the couple, and so she came, contrary to her feelings, she came to Mother's Day, knowing that she'd see the roses passed out and the gifts passed out, and she would be without one. And Roger gave a sermon that day, and it was fascinating because Roger Manassian, the pastor, he gave a sermon because Fresno at the time was uh, about to implode Uh, We just had the L.A. riots and the Rodney King beating, and Fresno was about to explode. They had the second highest murder rate, second highest car theft rate of any city in the United States. It would take over an hour for an officer to respond if he called 911. And I had shared with you, we had a car stolen from our driveway. A woman was held up at gunpoint by her back fence. Fresno was a mess. And it was a boiling cauldron ready to explode. And Roger actually ended up leaving the ministry to go work with the inner city kids uh, called Hope Now for Youth to take these... um, you know, gang kids that had violated their parole and, viol- you know, they had broken the law and they had a rap sheet a mile long and he'd go and, and meet with the CEOs and owners of these businesses and say, look, if, if we mentor these kids, we let them work regardless of their resume. They're either going to, you can either get them to work on the inside of their building or they're going to work on the outside of your building. And he, he is, Hope Now for Youth, over a thousand kids have been in, in full employment as a result of this ministry. It's a fascinating ministry. And he had, yeah, that's a little clap. Three of you were thrilled. <laughs> but Roger had a real heart for the inner city, and he had been inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. And um, he had given a Mother's Day sermon. He said, you don't need to have kids to be a mother. And he spoke about all the the children in, in Fresno, and how they were rudderless and just cast into a sea of oblivion. And the, the murder rate, every night you turn on the TV, another young person was dead. 
And Zabel had heard this, and she went home to her husband, who wasn't a churchgoer, Harry. He didn't come to Christ till later in his life. And he said, Harry, she said, Harry, we're going to make a difference. And so she started, she and Harry built the Grabian Family Life Center right in the middle of the epicenter of where the mess was and put a million-dollar endowment to operate it. And she asked me to be the first director of it. And I actually had the chance to go through seminary as a result of, of her kindness and all these things. But I remember one day she was being honored by the mayor, Mayor Patterson of, of Fresno, for uh, Harry and Zabel Garabian Day because they had donated this. And Harry couldn't make it. He was in the later stages of Parkinson's. Uh, he would come to Christ just a, a few weeks after that, and then he would pass shortly thereafter. And, and Zabel said, would you be my guest? Since you're the director of the Family Life Center, would you be my guest at the reception with the mayor? And I said, absolutely. So she picks me up, and I, I was dirt poor working at Walmart, uh, just trying to make ends meet. We were starving, living off of Harvest Food Bank food, living in the equivalent of Section 8 housing. We were, we were just struggling. She picks me up in her white Lexus and her Rolex, and, and, and uh, <clears throat> we go there, and I, I think it's the only nice shirt I had, and get pictures with the mayor. And as we're leaving the mayor's office in downtown Fresno, she's driving and she's in her eighties, you know, and she's a little frightening driving. Uh, and I'm, you know, and she's just trusting the Lord and she's going down a one-way street and she pulls over to the side and there's no parking and she just pulls over and cars are honking and she's oblivious and they're, and I, I want to pay attention to her. And she points, she says, Rob, do you see that house there? And her hand is shaking. And it was a dilapidated, probably two-bedroom Victorian that was leaning. I said, yeah. She said, do you see that front window? And I said, yeah, Zabel, I do. She said, when I was a little girl, my family immigrated after the Turkish Holocaust, and we came to America. She said, my father, on Sundays, before we'd go to church, he would have us gather at the front window, and he, she'd, he'd lay out the envelopes. And he'd take the money that he was given as, for pay, and he would put the first portion to the Lord. And all of us would thank the Lord. We'd pray together as a family. And then, Rob, there would always be enough money for every envelope. And she said, when I met Harry, he wasn't a believer. And, he, and at the time, he still wasn't. She said, and I've been praying for him every day of his life. But I made two conditions if I were to marry him. One is he would tithe. And two, he would always keep the Sabbath. He didn't have to go to church with me, but he wasn't allowed to work. And for Harry, that was unbelievable because this is a man that was driven. He had, he had taken nuts and bolts of, of surplus military hardware and catalog, cataloged them and categorized them and made a fortune uh, and, and was a brilliant businessman. And he was a semi-professional baseball player. He was driven. And for him, for, for Zabel to say, you are not working. No work comes home. There, there's, the television's not on. She laid down the rules of the Sabbath and Harry kept them. And, and he would say later, he said, you know, that woman was the greatest blessing in my life. As I was sharing with him when he was about to receive the Lord, he said, I've kept that. And I, he said, my business success has been a result of her making me tithe. It was the best money I've ever spent. He said, and then secondly, there's peace in my home that that woman's brought. And I said, it wasn't her who brought it, Harry. And he asked, well, what do you, and I said, it's the Lord, the Lord moving in her life and her establishing that in your home. And you agreed to it and you've seen what it's brought. And it was through that testimony of that, that 60 plus year marriage that he came to Christ. And, and here's a woman who never had children that had a profound effect on an entire city because Fresno had the highest crime rate drop of any city its size in FBI statistic history. And by 1997, it became America's finest city. 
So listen, if you wanted a Mother's Day sermon, you came here today, I just gave it to you. We're going to get to the text that we're studying. But for those of you who didn't want a Mother's Day message, that was for you. Because everyone has a mom. And you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. And even though Zabel didn't have children, she was an amazing parent and blessed an entire city. So keep that in mind as we take a look at the Pharisees arguing with Jesus over the Sabbath. So open up to Matthew 12 if you have a Bible. If you don't, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Matthew chapter 12. Brett said that his mom called and told him to tuck his shirt in. My mom's been, she's been with the Lord since 2010. She didn't call me, so I didn't tuck mine in. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We'll pick up at verse one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests. That's in 1 Samuel 28. David's running for his life and the, he eats the bread there. Verse five, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And I want to read to you where the Sabbath was laid out in Exodus 20. You don't have to turn there. Begins with verse nine, says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it, you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So that's the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath, to keep that day holy. One day, six days you work, one day you keep holy. And then this is the last thing I'll read, and I'll let you rest. You look tired standing there, so exhausted. (laughs) Hebrews 10, it begins in verse 19. I'll read it to you. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not, listen, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, one another, And so much the more as you see the day approaching, God wants us to be together. He wants a day set apart. He wants a day of worship. And we're going to see what he has to say to us. So let's pray and ask his blessing. Lord, we ask that you would guide and direct us through Matthew 12 and Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth and that you would cause us to come alive to your living word and that you would speak to us in relation to the Sabbath. Uh, Lord Jesus, you contended with the Pharisees over this day. It appeared in the reading that you violated, but yet 
you, the supreme lawgiver, you who are completely just and merciful and gracious, did not violate the law. You fulfilled it. And yet, God, today you want us to rest, but there's a whole different picture here for us. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister and speak to us in accordance with your riches of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat, please. I love that on Mother's Day, the one thing moms want is their kids to be in church. They understand the significance of that. They, They know what it does for a family. And I think this is the significance of what the Lord desired. Back in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created is how the, the, the Genesis account starts. And he, he creates everything in six days. And on the seventh day, the scripture says that he rested. It wasn't that he was tired. The idea of rest means that he stopped to enjoy that which he had done. And he wanted to fellowship in, in what, what was the, the quiet and the stillness of the garden with Adam and Eve and his creation that were created in his likeness to have fellowship with him and to have a relationship with him, not as robots or autotrons, but just simply human beings created in the image of God to have a relationship just as the Godhead where, where the Lord would say, uh, let us, Elohim, singular plurality, let us make man in our image, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there in Genesis, this singular plurality, this unified diversity of a Godhead that is relational, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own, uh, on my own. I and my Father are one. Apart from the Father, I can do nothing. And so this relational connection in the Godhead is transferred in this relational aspect with his creature, his, his creation, his children, man and woman. And he creates him in the image of God to have a relationship and to have this time together. And he says, this is a garden, tend to it, care for it. And as they labor, they see the fruit of their, of their labors come to fruition. And God says, set a day aside to enjoy it, but primarily to enjoy your time with me and your time with each other. This is the joy of the, of the Sabbath, to enjoy me and to enjoy each other. Put aside everything else and get back to this relational concept of spending time together. And here Jesus is with his disciples. They have been ministering. He had just finished that presentation where he said, come unto me, all you are tired and, and, and all you are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your weary souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden, it is light. He says, yoke yourself unto me. I'm meek and lowly, and and he he wants us to have this relationship with him where we're yoked to him, and it's not burdensome, and he's, he's the larger animal carrying the load. We just are along for the ride. And as soon as this is established, the Jews have taken what is supposed to be a day where they can be yoked to the Lord in an intimate day, enjoying him and enjoying each other relationally where they're building family and they're establishing all this. And the Jews look at it and they say, let's fix this Sabbath so we don't break it. And the reason why they were so militant to fix the Sabbath is because they had screwed it up for 490 years. The Jews were told that every, every seventh day was to be holy unto the Lord. Every seventh year, every 50th year was to be a year of Jubilee. And the Jews had bypassed the observation of the Sabbath and violated it. And the land... The, the, the oxen weren't to work. The land was to be left alone. The seventh year was to be left alone. And they still tilled and they still practiced and they still worked and the land got tired. And God just finally said, look, creation is struggling because you refuse to obey me. And so what he did is he sent them into exile into Babylon for 70 years. Why 70 years? Because 70 years was the number of, of years they had violated the Sabbath. 
He said that the land's going to get rest from you and I'm going to keep you here for 70 years. When you're in the land, you don't observe it. So I'm going to put you in exile so the land can rest. And when they're finally returned to the land, they say to themselves, we can't let this happen again. We've got to make all kinds of rules. And so they had the, the, the extracurricular, the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, extracurricular biblical works, where they began to dissect how you were to observe the Sabbath. And, and they had 39 rules that you were to follow for the Sabbath. And of those 39 rules, there were 39 rules attached to each one of the 39 rules. It was so exhausting. And they laid this out. And I'll go through some of those in a moment. But the scripture says at the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They were accusing them of reaping and threshing and winnowing and preparing food because they're rubbing the grain, uh, the, the, the husk in their hands so the chaff would fall away and the dried grain, chew on that, violation of the Sabbath. I was hungry and I was just getting a little bite to eat. Violation of the Sabbath. You're reaping, you're threshing, you're winnowing, you're preparing food. This is wrong. And they were calling him on it. Now, what's interesting is there was nothing wrong with what they were doing in taking grain from the, the field that they were walking along. Because Deuteronomy 23, 25 says that anything that falls into the roadway or, or leans into the roadway, any passerby is allowed to use their hands to, to glean any of that produce for themselves. And so I think it should be applicable in grocery stores with your children when the grapes are hanging over the, just, you know, it's like Costco samples, just, but I, I am not approving that. I'm just saying it should be is what I'm, I'm uh, pointing out. The issue was only the day on which they did it. They were doing this on the Sabbath and um, I like what Spurgeon says. He says, we incidentally, incidentally learn from this story that our Lord and his disciples were poor and that he who fed the multitudes did not use his miraculous power to feed his own followers, but left them till they did what poor men are forced to do to supply the little stay for their stomachs. And so they followed Deuteronomy 23, 25, and they were gleaning from the road and they were rolling it in their hands and they were eating. You're not allowed to take a, you know, a, a harvest combine and go through the guy's field and say, well, it was hanging over and I'm just, that's not allowed. In throwing the food into their mouth and chewing, they violated from the Pharisees point of view, four Sabbath laws that they, these, these uh, rabbis felt as though they had violated and really, they weren't violating God's law. They were violating the Talmud and the Mishnah, which were extra biblical writings. I, I want to show you in particular some of these rules. Uh, there, there, was, there was no law that received more attention from, from the Pharisees in the fourth commandment. They, they nitpicked this thing down because they didn't want to be in exile another 70 years. So there's massive volumes of commentary, as I said, both in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Um, so when God said, don't work, the rabbis in their zealous pursuit of obedience asked, well, what constitutes work? And so they would begin to write this down in the Talmud and the Mishnah, these extra biblical works, so they didn't have to worry about breaking it. So they said, what constitutes work? And they developed 39 categories, as I said before. And of those 39 categories, there were 39 categories for each one of the 39 categories. One dealt, one category dealt with bearing burdens or carrying anything. The rabbi said anything heavier than a dried fig was considered a burden and could not be carried because that would be work. So don't carry any figs. 
You could carry half a dried fig unless you put it down. You could not pick it up again because that would in effect be doubling the weight. And so that would be a whole fig, which was a burden. I'm already tired. If you were putting fruit away when the Sabbath began, you had to drop the fruit when the horn was sounded because Sabbath would begin when you'd see the first three stars in the evening sky, right? And so if, if the, the horn was sounded, the shofar was blown, uh, you, you couldn't pick the fruit up because that would be another burden that you were carrying. You, couldn't, uh, you could pick up a child, but only after inspecting his or her hands to make sure that they had nothing in them. Oh, you're holding a fig. I can't pick you up. So just give your kids figs and you can save your back. I thought it'd be funnier. If the Sabbath began and you were wearing your false teeth, that was okay because they were considered a part of you. But you could not put your false teeth in on the Sabbath because that would be lifting a tool and that was not acceptable. You know what I'm saying? Another uh, category governed travel. You could only go 2,000 cubits or about 1,000 yards no further. Some say 3,000 yards. You couldn't go any further from your house than 1,000 yards. Oh, excuse me, 3,000 feet or 1,000 yards. The people often needed to travel much farther in order to be able to make it to synagogue or some other place on the Sabbath. So the rabbis came up with a device to get around the travel restrictions. Movement inside your home didn't count as travel, only outside your door. And a home was technically any part of your house. So the Jews began putting a rope at the end of their street, significant, or effectively attaching the two sides of it and making every house on the street technically the same home. That's the Sabbath string. So your journey didn't begin until you passed the rope and uh, ended when you got to the next such, uh, said street. And, and they still practice this in Los Angeles. You can find places where they do this today. Miami, New York, they still practice it. You could not dip a rat, you, oh, excuse me, you could dip a radish in salt, but if you left it in the salt, that was considered pickling. Okay. You could spit, but only into a handkerchief or on a solid rock. If it ever hit the dirt, that was considered, uh, you know, preparing the ground for planting. <laughs> I'm breaking the Sabbath. I can't spit this on the ground. Do you mind if I spit on you? Um, because you're making mud, right? Uh, a couple more. Let's see. Um, well, I, I'm not going to bore you to death with these, but suffice it to say, these rules were exhausting and overwhelming and, and the people were tired of them. And Jesus isn't in violation because as, as he's walking through and feeding his, his disciples, they're hungry. They're hungry. I want to read this to you um, if I can find it. Yeah, Jesus reminded them that human need, pay attention to this. Jesus reminded them that human need is more important than observing ceremonial rituals. They were hungry. David was hungry. God doesn't want the day that's set aside that you're miserable and starving. If there's no food, go get some. That's not the intention. Sabbath is for the man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 3 of Matthew 12, Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. 
how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. He's saying, this, the Shekinah glory of God is a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and it's between the two seraphim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies on the temple. But I want to tell you that when you become a Christian, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to Jerusalem on the temple mount to worship God. He dwells in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the temple. The Shekinah glory only is there at certain moments. I'm, though I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. You're looking at God, is what he's saying. And you are nitpicking over what you have defined the Sabbath to be when it was never intended for such. Your extra biblical works have exhausted the people and burdened them when I wanted it to be a day of rest. And he lays this out and he gives them example after example through David and the priests and a number of others. And he just simply points this out. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is even greater than grace because mercy's not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. But you can't have grace without mercy. We deserve death. God gives us mercy. Mercy requires justice, which means if he's going to let us off on our violation, he's going to pay for it. He pays the penalty. And in addition, he gives us grace. After he pays the penalty and the brutality of the cross, he then gives us grace and he blesses us with abundance by our labors and the fruit of our hands. And all he wants us to do is have a relationship with him. He created so we could reconnect and spend time with him. He always designed us to be together. The Godhead is together and he wants his children together. He wants us fellowshipping with one another. And you overlook these things. If somebody's hungry, feed them. If, if, if your animal's caught in, in, in mud, you'll pull them out on the Sabbath. How much more valuable is a human being? And God said the entire purpose of the Sabbath was you, you stop from your labors and spend time with me and enjoy me and each other. Because community and relationship is everything God knows we need. We aren't islands unto ourselves. And he concludes, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. My heart is to spend time with you. The Lord says, that's the Sabbath. It's, it's not a box you check off or a rule that you follow. It's a relationship I want to have with you. And God lays this out in complete clarity to all who are present, and he just simply reminds them that human need is far more important than observing ceremonial rituals. Now, let me share with you some ceremonial rituals. There are a lot of Calvary chapels that we say we're non-denominational, we're, we're, not, a, we're not a denomination of churches, we're a loose affiliation, um, we, we have no rituals. No, Yeah, we do. We got rituals. Uh, one of the rituals, many of the pastors, you know, you, if you're not going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, you're, you're, you're not, this is, this is the only way to do it. A lot of pastors don't like the way I teach. I get it. Uh, you tell them too many stories. I do. I do. I like that. 
yeah, but you're not going line by line, word by word, precept upon, do you understand the context of the text? Am I going through the text? Well, yeah, but still you need to, well, I don't. And where does that, I'm lost. I study to show myself approved unto God, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word truth. I know the context. I know the, I, I, I can present it to you and I'm doing my best to do that. And I do it through stories. Interestingly enough, last time I checked, Jesus taught with stories. So there you go. But, but you, 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 do you own a Hawaiian shirt? Because Chuck always wore Hawaiian shirts. I do, but I'd, I wouldn't be caught dead in it. No offense to those who are really sporting and they look good. Me? No, doesn't work. Sometimes I'll wear one. But that doesn't, that, that's not necessary to be a Calvary Chapel. We have to be pre-millennial and you got to, I get the loose affiliation, our theology and how we hold these things together. The dove. And everyone started having doves. I, we, do we, I don't even think we have a dove here. I, I don't despise the dove. I like the cross. But the idea is, yo, oh, you can, King James only. King James only. Well, New King James, because that way well, you don't have to spend, but I'm still struggling with the transition from King James to the King, New King James. Only Masoretic text, not Alexandrian. Well, I do prefer the Masoretic text, although the King James only version, interestingly enough, was put together to combat the Geneva Bible, which was used by the reformers to bring civil society and the constitutional republic we have today. And this was an act of the king to try to shut that down. And we're elevating as though it's some sort of deified text. Get over it. I'll tell you the best version of the Bible that you, the best version of the Bible, best translation of the Bible, the one you read. If you're not reading it, now that, mind you, excluding the New World Translation by Jehovah's Witnesses, if it's a paraphrase of it, but if you're reading it, bless you. His word doesn't return void. I came to Christ by a living Bible. I can't teach out of it because you'd all be confused. The whole point of the text is this. Sabbath is for the man, not man for the Sabbath. When we took a look in Exodus and the Lord said, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath, is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter. I want your family with you. I want your male servants. I want your female servants. Anyone in your household. I want your cattle to rest. I want the strangers who are in your house to rest. I want everyone who is affiliated with you to rest. I want one day set aside where you spend it with me. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. We're to labor. I, I, I shared this with a man yesterday and he was laughing. He says, will you send that to me, that quote? I said, sure. And it was a quote that I, I'd used when I went up to the Starbucks and there was a young man there, very fit, good looking young fellow, hadn't showered, wearing a backpack and he'd, he'd been homeless and wandering. He goes, hey, can you get me a cup of coffee or give me some money? I go, I will, if you can answer one question. He said, what's that? I said, what is money? What's well, what you need to buy stuff with? I go, wrong. He goes, oh man. <laughs> he goes, well, what is the answer? I said, the answer is money is the representation of a contribution you've made to society. You've made no contribution, thus you have no money. Now, I'm happy to buy you a cup of coffee and get you something to eat from my contribution to society and what I have received. And I'm happy to help you with that. But you were able, 
you need to make a contribution. It was an interesting conversation. And I got him a cup of coffee. And that was worth it. That was my contribution to him. He didn't give me any money for it. But the point is, we work. God created us to work. It's worshipful to work. I'll tell you when you're depressed and miserable, when you're not working or looking for work, or if you think someone else should work so you don't have to work. You can have all of the trappings and all of whatever comes with somebody else's money, but ultimately it doesn't do anything. And at the end of a week, when you've had a really full day at work and you see the labor of your hands, the greater the risk, the greater the reward, God says, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And I want you to take a day and set it aside from the cacophony of noises. I want you to put all the numbers aside and the budgeting and the analysis and all the phone calls and the, and the texts and the emails. I want you to put it all aside. And I want you to realign with me because as you stepped into that workplace, as you have brought life into the world and you are showing them the value of hard work and the contribution to society and you are fighting for the, for the advancement of civilization itself by building it on truth and this idea that abundance comes as we honor God and he shows us how to enjoy that and how to apply it and how to be generous and how to be frugal and how to be kind and do all these things and to raise our families and to provide a roof and food and all these things. I want you to calm down and come and spend time with me and realign because you get so caught up in it and all the numbers and all the budgeting and you watch your portfolio on the ceiling and you're worrying about all of your possessions or your lack thereof and it's building anxiety and worry and stress and you say, you know, I can't, and and, and this is it. This is Sunday and it's Mother's Day and the church is full, not on Father's Day. Dads are like, man, I want to rest. I get that. I don't want to go to church. Moms, I want my family together in church. And here's what's fascinating about it. Have you ever had the conversation, are we going to church tomorrow? I, I really are. Dude, I mean, I got, I have so much to do Monday. I'm over. I, I could really just do it, use a day just to get my book straight. And do we got to go to church? All you guys are quiet. Look at you. Never had that conversation. <laughs> Who's preaching tomorrow? That's my favorite. That really makes me feel so good. I hope there's a guest speaker. I'll go if there's a guest speaker. You know, we'll go, but parking's always an issue. Maybe, all right, we're running late. It's okay. It's just the worship music at the beginning. It's like the previews at the movie theater. That makes John and the worship team who works all week feel so blessed. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's like the cushion time that we can arrive when we want. Let me tell you about worship music on the Sabbath. This, this, is, this is the prep department, and there's a surgery that's going to happen on your heart. And don't you want a good prep team that comes in and gets the patient ready? And you, you want to make sure that they've drawn the line on the part that needs to be removed? Yeah? On the right area of the body? And they've done due diligence? And I can tell you, when I walk in, I can tell if they've prepped you because you're attentive and you're ready to receive and the music has ministered to your heart. Your heart is open. You've focused on the Lord. The message resonates. It touches you. You go away moved by it. 
And I can tell other times where you've wandered in, you've dragged your sorry self in, you were arguing all the way here. You got here late, you didn't hear a single song. And, and I begin to preach and it takes probably 10 or 15 minutes for you to kind of start to click in. But they're, they're prepared to prepare you. You need to be here. If, if you don't show up for your surgery at 7 a.m., it backs up everybody else's day. But you come in on time and, and your heart is prepped. This is the work that they've done. They've made this day special and prepared to make it special for you. And the reason why you're late and the reason why you're struggling and the reason why you're anxiety-ridden is because Sunday's not special. It really is. It began Saturday with, are we going to go to church tomorrow? I mean, and the Lord is saying, I created everything in six days. And on the seventh day, I wanted to spend time with my creation. More than anything else, I wanted to spend time with the creation that was created in my image. The one I created to have a relationship with, a loving relationship as we have in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only do I want to have a relationship with you, my child, but I want you to have a relationship with each other, inspired by what you and I have. I want it to, to saturate your family. I want you to set a day aside, God says, spiritually, where it's you and me and you and your family. I want you to prepare that day so it's special. I want you to turn everything off and plug into me. I want you to tell your children about me. I want them to see that this day is unlike any other, that you are coming to church to, to be fed and to feed. And, and the way, and one of this book had a profound influence on me when I was in college. It was written by a woman, and I can't remember the author's name, but it was called Making Sunday Special. And I actually started to practice this with the singles that I was hanging around with at the time. And we would actually do our own Sabbath preparation for our, our singles group, our college group. And we would do this to prepare for Sunday. And we would do it Saturday night. And the idea of making Sunday special, we would actually have a dinner. And we would, we would set it at sundown and then we'd go through the day and, and, and it, was, it was really sundown to sundown. And it was one of the most profound moves in my life, especially at that age when, when you're young and passionate as a college student. It had a huge influence on me about how significant a day of rest is. I wrote down a few things from that book, and I, I, I just want to give them to you as kind of a practical application. And bear with me uh, as I go through this, but let me emphasize again. If you don't, if you don't come away with God, you're going to come apart. And if you look at Sunday and you go, you know what? I got a big day on Monday. I got, I got papers due. I got appointments early in the morning. I really am going to stay home. I got work to do. I'm going to go into the office and just get a jump on it. Well, you're borrowing what doesn't belong to you. And you're going into a week without receiving and, and you're putting a debt on what God wanted to be refreshment. And you do that the following week and the following week and the following week. There isn't enough money to bring peace in your home. You're tired. Everyone's exhausted. You're burdened and you're heavy laden. And I have news for you. If you set a day aside and made it special, the rest of the week would be like running through fields of lavender. But if you borrow from Sunday to feed your flesh, you're in deficit. And it adds up. And I'll tell you what, you may not go into exile for 70 years, but your family will be in exile. 
It'll be exiled from peace. It'll be exiled from comfort. It'll be exiled from tranquility. It'll be exiled and it'll be sent into the abyss of confusion and, and angst and, and conflict because you didn't set a day aside to reconnect and realign and spend time with each other. This, the, the Sabbath is for you. This isn't a law Another thing you have to carry, it's for you to reconnect with him and each other. But the reason why you're saying, are we going to church tomorrow? Is because you have done zip to prepare for church. It's the best you can do to, well, we'll get to the 11 if I wake up. This is the 11, by the way. (laughs) Sundays needs to be special. And listen, I know work schedules are tough. Make it a different day, but make it a day. Our, our brothers and sisters from the Adventist church use this facility on Saturdays because they believe that the Sabbath is on Saturday. They're wrong, but I'm thankful because it allows us to rent to them and it doesn't affect our day. And so we have a really neat relationship. And I told Simon he's wrong. But you watch as you make a Sabbath special. The Jews went overboard. God doesn't want it that way. It's not to be exhausting. But how do you make it special and carefree so that it's time with the family? Here's a couple of ideas that I gleaned from this book years ago. Simplify your food preparation. Have it chilled in a crock pot. In the morning, come in, plug it in and go to church. You come back, food's waiting. You did that all Saturday night. Not, uh, are we going to go to a restaurant? Let me just tell you, you go to a restaurant, which we do, Somebody else can't be in church because they're serving you. Wouldn't it be nice if America had an entire day where we got back to resting again? Establish that in your own home. I'm not saying take business away. I mean, you give business to the supermarket, but make Sundays a place where you go and spend time with the family instead of a crazy restaurant, especially today. You're like, hurry up. We got reservations. I'll go faster. (laughs) Sunday, if you do everything on Saturday, kids... I think Sunday should be a day off from homework because you got it done. I would, I would make housework a day of rest. Don't it? Dishes can be done tomorrow for you ADD folks. Not ADD. What is it? OCD. Oh, CDO. Cause you want it in alphabetical order, but that, <laughs> Play, play, play Christian music in the background. God inhabits the praises of his people. You'll find yourself singing a song that's catchy like you heard on the radio. And you, you, you go to sleep with it and you awaken with it and the day is filled. And, and, you know, one of the things for us, even though we didn't observe Sabbath in my family, there was always a roast cooking on Sundays. And I love the smell of roasted meat on Sunday. It just makes, it takes me back to family. We always had a family meal on Sundays. We never prayed. We never read the Bible, but... We stopped. Wear nice clothes on a, and this is nice clothes. <laughs> but those things that, I, that's my shirt for Sunday. Because you're thinking about it. Have a basket that on sundown, on Saturday, you throw your phone in it and leave it there. <laughs> I don't know how you can do that. Instead of Sabbath being where you're sitting on the couch and you're texting each other across the... Did you get my text? Did you see the Snapchat? 
You see my Pinterest? Did you see? Okay. Okay. What are you doing? I'm talking to somebody. You want to talk to me? No, I'm talking to you. Basket. Phone in the basket. I've never done that. I think it'd be a really good thing. Make a box. This is a good thing for moms or dads. Make a box where, where there's special toys, if you have young kids, that can only be played on, uh, with on, on the Sabbath. So they're looking forward to it. And you put it in a very visible spot, and there's always a new gift in it every Sunday, and they're like waiting. We get to open the Sabbath. Make it special. Go for a walk with your family. Visit family. Oh, huh. <laughs> Write in a journal. When's the last time you ever wrote anything? Not text, not type, write. Pray. Praise a family. Visit neighbors and friends. Do something that's just communal, that, that builds relationships, that throws people off guard. You have time to do that? Yeah, the Lord set it aside. Read a book, take a nap, think about the Lord. I love, if I don't get a Sunday nap, all hell breaks loose. And my family knows. I'll be, the house will be filled with people. Hey, so blessed you're here. I want to go take a nap. And they're like, praise the Lord. That's my Sabbath, night-night. Some people, Sabbath is Jesus in football. Good. Good. It, as long as the family enjoys that. And we're doing it together. I wouldn't do the whole day football, honey. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Read some picture books to your kids, put together a puzzle, make a phone call to grandparents or other relatives. How many grandparents would love to have a phone call from their grandkids on Sunday? Raise your hand, please. Come on, help me here. Yeah, okay. How would you like a phone call from your kids? Yeah, I would like that. I'll just give a couple more because we're out of time. Um, Get down on the floor and play with your kids, with their toys. Have one-on-one talks, have family discussions or a lesson on a virtue that you'd like them to develop more. Draw, paint, sketch, watercolor, journal, video. Read family histories to connect with your ancestors. Write letters to missionaries or servicemen. Look at home movies or family photo books. My kids love to go up in the attic. They pull down the old photo books. Look at their wedding, and they look at our old wedding video and some of the stuff. They, it's hilarious. Could you imagine just having days like that where you're just enjoying each other? But we're so busy. We're falling apart, and the family's falling apart. Plan the week. Think of ways to implement these things. Read scriptures. Listen to music. Visit someone in the hospital. Um, Have someone over for a simple meal that's already pre-prepared. Sing together as a family. Musical instruments. I I love it when my kids come home and we start playing music. They start to dance. Dancing on the Sabbath? Heck yeah! And they're good too. Here's the point. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You're hungry. Eat the grain. God is concerned with your relationship with him and you and you with us. Set a day aside. We're all working. We're all busy. But you find time for things that are important. And that begins on Saturday in preparation for your your Sabbath. If it's not Sunday, pick a day. But could you imagine what would happen to this community if we spent that kind of time with each other, how solid we would be. The things you'd learn about your kids and the things they'd learn about you, 
My mom and dad are both gone. There are, there's, there are things I wish I'd asked them and I no longer have access to that history. It's gone. They never journaled it. They never wrote it. And I'll never get the answer to it until I'm in glory. I would like to have passed that on to my children. I'm limited. And I'll tell you what, my kids, I, I would always tuck them in and tell them a story. And they ask me all the time, dad, tell me another story about your family. Another story. It's a connection for generations. Do that. Slow down and spend time with each other. Sabbath is for you. God instilled it. He's established it. And he wants you to be blessed by it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that you've given us the Sabbath a day set apart where we spend time with you and with each other. I was thinking of Psalm 131, that I don't concern myself with matters too profound for me, but I calm and quiet my soul like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this day forward and forevermore. And Lord, the idea you put on my heart is we just need to quit worrying about everything for one day. and put our eyes on you, the author and finish of our faith, and purpose diligently the day before to make that day special, that nothing's gonna get in the way of us and, and you. Better, better said, nothing's gonna get in the way of me and you, Lord. And then, Lord, as you feed us in those days of rest, we have the chance to feed each other and to build family and relationship, which is the strongest blessing you've given on this earth that we receive from you and we give to each other and that's family. We get to reflect on how you've been faithful in every step of the way and the food on our table and the provision and the ability to work and all the things you've done, Lord. And we take that day aside and we spend it with each other. And then we come and we have the body of Christ in larger scale as we come to church. And the music isn't a warm up. It's not, it's not anything other than our heart being knitted to yours. You've given us this gift to sing and words that would reflect your character and your nature and our relationship with you. And folks have made this day special. They've prepared for the arrival of folks that would receive. And so, Lord, let us do that in our own homes. Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray that every heart that has heard it would receive it and apply it. And I know this is a good day to preach it because the moms are here and they're the ones that make Sunday special. Thank you for mothers. And Lord, thank you for the Sabbath. And thank you for this rest in Jesus' name. Amen.